Fluency really means being able to do something easily, effortlessly, smoothly, without a lot of starts and stops, without having to do a lot of planning, without having to think about it, that lexical retrieval at no matter what proficiency level you're at. Hey, everyone. You first met today's guest in episode 14, Stuck in the Middle. Natalie is the director of the Institute for Cross-Cultural Training at Wheaton College, and I am so excited to have her again on the show. Welcome back, Natalie. Thanks, Mary Lynn. I know that we'd both agree that there are a lot of falsehoods out there about what it means to be fluent in a language. Can you start us off with some of your favorites on your list? Sure. The latest new app, whatever it is, they all promise six weeks and you'll be fluent in Spanish or Chinese or all of the polyglots on YouTube. I studied, you know, Russian for three weeks and watched TV and now I'm fluent. It's just all of these things drive me crazy because they discourage the people who are actually doing the real work and they're not true that no one is fluent in Chinese in six weeks or Russian in three weeks by watching TV. Those things just aren't true. That's why I'm glad that you asked me to come today to talk about this idea of fluency and what it really is. I actually talk about this all the time in my real life because I get the question all the time, Mary Lynn, how many languages are you fluent in? Some other things that I've heard that I'm sure you've heard that drive me crazy, you know, well, I've heard that, you know, you're really fluent in a language when you dream in it. Have you heard that one? I've heard that one. Like that is the litmus test. Yeah. I don't remember most of my dreams anyway. I don't know about you, but I certainly hope that's not a measure of my fluency. Cause what if I never remember my dream? I get that all the time or, you know, all it takes, I just need immersion to be fluent. I just, you know, really the best way to learn in a language and to be fluent in it is to be immersed at the Institute for cross-cultural training, where I'm the director, I talk with language learners all day, every day, people who are pre-field and then people who have been doing language learning for a long time. And I get that a lot. Like, well, my organization wants me to take this pre-field second language acquisition course, but I really just think the best way to learn a language is through immersion. So I don't really think I need any training. I'm just going to go live somewhere at a homestay. The other day I got a question, I was doing training and someone asked the question, how long do you think someone should do a homestay? When's the best ideal time so that you can become fluent? Oh my. Okay. And it always, you know, whatever language learning question we get, it's always tagged on with, so I can become fluent in that language or what'll help me to become fluent in that language. Back to what you said about immersion is the secret. Um, I always say it's like um, being dropped in a swimming pool and <laughs> If you don't know any strokes, then you're going to drown. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Why are learners beguiled by some of these promises? Oh, I think they, they want to believe them because it seems some of them seem easy. 
you mean all I need to do is buy a ticket to Russia and I'll become fluent in Russian? Or all I need to do is buy the software. Yes. All I need to do is spend 10 minutes a day on an app on my phone. I mean, it's, you want to believe it because the other truth that language learning is really hard and takes years and years is too hard to swallow. I think the other reason Mary Lynn is because we often just don't know any different, you know, we don't know any other ways. And these are these things that are so popular and passed down that people just don't know what other alternatives there are. So let's go ahead and get to an actual definition of what fluency is. You could say that a textbook definition would be something like a measure of how smoothly and quickly one can produce the target language. So smoothly and quickly would be the operative words here. Would you agree with that or how would you define fluency? Yeah, I would agree with that. I would also add something like easily be able to do something There is, of course, the street definition that my mom likes to use, bless her heart, the one that she uses when she talks about me. Natalie's fluent in Spanish and Chinese. And why does she say that? Because for Spanish and Chinese, she came to visit me when I lived in Spain and came to visit me when I lived in China. And I spoke to taxi drivers and waiters and a few friends easily and smoothly and was able to order whatever food we wanted. And she didn't understand anything. And I seemed to do it all effortlessly. So that's fluency for most people. And that's kind of the street term. But what you and I want to talk about today is that definition, kind of the linguistic definition that you just mentioned that has something to do with the speed at which you talk, but natural speed, right? Not as fast as you can. I was an ESL teacher for about 10 years and I worked with students every once in a while, whose goal was to just speak as quickly as they could, which wasn't natural and actually impeded understanding. So not that, Um, but this idea of being able to do something effortlessly without having to think about it too much and smoothly. Okay. So speed, not having to think about it too much. What would be some other components of that definition of fluency? Yeah. So We want to think about fluency, no matter what proficiency level you're at. So I'll use myself in this example. Um, My mom was hearing me speak smoothly with not too many starts and stops. And I was speaking at a relatively normal pace when I was ordering food for us in China, for example, my ability to order food at a novice or a beginner proficiency level had a high degree of fluency. I could do it well. And very easily, albeit very simply, without advanced preparation. So do something well, easily, and whatever your proficiency level is at appropriately without advanced preparation. That would be other things that are included in that linguistic definition of fluency. Maybe I'd add something like lexical retrieval, being able to come up with the vocab that you need. You mentioned the lack of false starts. But I really like what you said about fluency at different levels, because we think that we have to get to advanced or higher to actually be classified as or to get that fluency badge. 
But what you're saying is that you can be fluent at the level where you are. Exactly. Every proficiency level is going to have an element where you would be assessed on your fluency. So you can be a fluent beginning learner. You have fluency in the tasks that you do as a beginning learner, advanced up through distinguished levels. So it's not just the top of the mountain. Right. You can have fluency at different steps. That's right. You can have fluency at different proficiency levels. So you want to be fluent at whatever tasks you're doing at the intermediate level. You want to be fluent at whatever tasks you're handling at the advanced level. So it's not pie in the sky by and by. That's right. It's not pie in the sky by and by. Fluency does not mean advanced or distinguished proficiency level. I think that's the myth that we would like to dispel, right? Fluency really means being able to do something easily, effortlessly, smoothly, without a lot of starts and stops, without having to do a lot of planning, without having to think about it, that lexical retrieval at no matter what proficiency level you're at. It seems like we're talking here mostly about talking, but does fluency also address the other competencies as well? That's a great point. You can score high in fluency in all four skill areas. So listening, speaking, reading, and writing, the focus is no matter what you're doing, you're doing it with appropriate accuracy for your proficiency level, and you're doing it easily without too much effort. We've talked about the proficiency guidelines. Can you address other measures of fluency? So some of the measures of fluency could be a self-assessment of sorts. So you have a planned activity that you're getting ready to do. Let's say you're getting ready to give a 10-minute talk on something to someone. So you can think about your fluency by a little self-assessment. How easy was it for me to prepare this talk? Did it take me weeks and weeks to prepare a 10 minute talk, or could I sit down at an appropriate amount of time to prepare this 10 minute talk? And also when I did my 10 minute talk, was I actually talking for 10 minutes or was a lot of that, uh, well, think about it. Try to remember, you know, a lot of starts and stops, that kind of thing. How fluently did that talk go? That could be a good self-assessment. Um, when you're working with a language helper, for example, you can give your language helper um, a, an assessment sheet to assess you on some sort of language task. So let's say I'm working with my language helper on how to give compliments and respond to compliments. One of the elements on that assessment sheet, I don't want that assessment sheet to only deal with grammar vocabulary, pronunciation. I want that assessment sheet to also have some sort of measurement of fluency. How easily did the speaker do this task? How smoothly did she do it? Or was she thinking and starting and stopping a lot? That leads me to the question about the difference between performance and production, because a lot of speakers think that they can prepare something and they can read that or prepare it by translating it. And that means they are fluent. So can you address that difference between performance and production? Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up. Let me use myself as the example again. 
I was learning how to share about Jesus in Mandarin. And everyone pointed me to this excellent resource called the good news reader, which I highly recommend. It had little paragraphs written in a learner alphabet that I could memorize. Okay. So I was a very beginning learner and it took me months to memorize one paragraph, Mary Lynn. I'm, this is a real story, true story here. Months to memorize one paragraph. It was a paragraph about does God really exist? And to this day, I can still say some of those phrases from that paragraph 15 years ago. Okay. Now I could say those phrases smoothly. However, does that mean that I could fluently talk to someone about the existence of God in Mandarin at that point? Absolutely not. In fact, I never really reached that point in proficiency of Mandarin. I was working on the performance or the memorization of that thing, which is not the same thing as fluency in that task or that arena of proficiency. And some people will do this because they're doing some sort of language evaluation or assessment. You know, I have to pass a certain level in order to escape my language learning required hours or whatever, but you're just shooting yourself in the foot there because you want to have enough time the time that it takes to actually reach a level of proficiency with fluency to do the things that God has called you to do. I know when I was first starting to learn Spanish, I was petrified of going to parties. I was panicked to think about going to these parties, right? And so I decided I was going to memorize a joke. And so I memorized my joke. I still remember today about a man named Pedro. So it seemed like I was a real proficient speaker, but I had just memorized it. Yeah, I also did that in Spanish, Maryland. Maybe we can exchange Spanish jokes someday. Even worse, I would memorize idioms, which is not a thing that I ever recommend that learners do. It's great to understand idioms, but boy, using them in the right context, that can be another podcast for another day, right? What to do about idioms, but I do not recommend memorizing them and throwing them out there at parties and social gatherings because it causes laughter, but not in the way that I ever intended it to. Maybe I should ask you about some of them, but let's go on. Would you say that fluency is proportionate to the time invested in language learning? There's a thing we like to say about language learning time and language learning hours. We always hear people talk about, did I get my language learning hours in this week? But all language learning hours are not equal. So you could spend 10 years of your life working on. Let's just use Mandarin, working on Mandarin on Duolingo. That is not going to help you become fluent in a lot of communicative ways. And who knows what kind of proficiency level you're at. So every task isn't the same. You have to do the right things to help you with fluency in your language. So what are those right things? I always say the best thing is practice. Okay. If you want to work on your fluency, you need to practice and practice is different than memorization. Memorization sometimes involves learning things. You don't even understand what you're doing. Okay. Case in point, my lovely paragraphs in good news reader, those were not working on fluency. However, if I wanted to work on telling my testimony, 
then I should practice my testimony out loud a lot of times with a lot of different people. So I'm working on the same thing. I'm not spouting off a memorized text, but I'm doing the same thing over and over so that it becomes easy, quicker, smoother, and without a lot of effort. I know one thing I recommend to some of the learners that I coach is always try first, always attempt to say it the best way that you can. Then you can seek correction. Then you can take it to your language helper and then get the correction and then try again. And it's just like you said, you have to try and retry and try and retry. And sometimes you need to do the same task, maybe three different times on your language route. So what are some other things that you feel can propel learners toward fluency? Well, there's a concept we call tolerance of ambiguity in language learning that I think helps in this area. A learner needs to be able to do an appropriate task for their level or a group of things for their proficiency level without stopping and getting frustrated that they don't know how to do it perfectly like a native speaker does. Okay. So thinking that I have to get it perfect can really get in the way. All right. Another thing that can get in the way is what we, you may have heard call the blurt and pray method. You know, I don't care if I do it right or not. I'm just going to do it. And boy, was I a blurt and prayer when I was learning Mandarin. Let me tell you, I rarely ever got corrected on anything. So I had fluency, but I never increased in proficiency level because I never worked on accuracy. You always want to think about that balance between accuracy and fluency. And that is what can propel learners forward in fluency. Are you working on accuracy? And are you putting the time in to practice, practice, practice to work on your fluency? So what about the learners that are stuck in accuracy, that I have to get it right before I open my mouth? Well, they just need to know that you don't have to live that way. You know, I think we often forget that our listeners have realistic expectations for who we are and what our language should be like. We often have the unrealistic expectations for ourselves. You know, so every language learner needs to understand that we're all in this process of progression, not perfection. And you need to work on using what you know and not always get stuck on trying to gather all the information that you need to be perfect before you ever use it. So it has a lot to do with your attitude. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Would you have any last piece of advice here, Natalie? I think my last piece of advice is don't worry about what language you dream in. Worry about what language you live in. To work on fluency, you have to use the language that you're learning in practice, not in your subconscious, but in your day-to-day life. So worry about how much you're using it and practicing it. Thank you, Natalie. That was a great note to end on. Unless you would like to share another blooper with us, or shall we just tell our listeners to go back to episode 14? 
<laughs> oh, I always have more bloopers to talk about. Uh, since I talked about my mother and ordering restaurants today, that reminds me about the time that my mom came to visit me in Spain. And when looking at a new menu in a fancy place I'd never been in, I thought I ordered us veal when I actually ordered my mom a rabbit, which came on a plate with its little head cut in two so you could eat the brains. Oops. <laughs> what did your mom do? Oh, she handled it well, but we were hungry. Let's just say that. Conejo is something that I probably won't forget again. Conejo in Quechua actually refers to guinea pig. Okay. <laughs> well, I probably don't want to order that for my mom either. <laughs> Thanks so much, Natalie. It was a real pleasure to have you back on the show today. The Institute for Cross-Cultural Training offers a whole spectrum of courses in second language acquisition, as well as training in language coaching. So check it out. I'm Mary Lynn Kinderberg, and thanks for listening to Language on Purpose. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google, and of course, always on our webpage, languageonpurpose.org. If you haven't yet, subscribe, and you won't miss an episode. See you next time.